Thank you for listening to Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti, recorded live at the Sat Yoga Ashram in Costa Rica. To join us for a life-changing meditation retreat, or to make a donation to support this transformational work, please visit our website, www.satyoga.org. To access more teachings or guided meditations from Shunyamurti, please visit the members section of our website or our YouTube channel, Sat Yoga Institute. Namaste. The field of yoga has existed since and even brought about the beginning, the origins of culture since the beginning of Dwapar Yuga, since the beginning of the fall from divine consciousness to human consciousness. Yoga was the effort to return to that original primordial state of absolute presence, absolute knowing, absolute power, absolute goodness. That is our real nature. And through time we have fallen further <clears throat> from it and have required more extreme forms of yoga in the sense of more gross forms because the mind in its fall was no longer able to receive the subtler forms of yoga and harness the energies that they enabled one to access in order to uplift oneself back to the original vibrational frequency. And so through the course of time, yoga itself has devolved to its current state of very commercialized hatha yoga that's basically a system of physical exercise that had nothing to do with original yoga. Now, original yoga is not Ashtanga yoga. It's not Patanjali's yoga, as most people think. That's actually a fairly late occurring form of yoga, around the second century AD already, post-Vedic, post-Vedantic, and came associated with the Sankhya philosophy, a very dualistic philosophy. But because that's the basic yoga that most people have heard about, and it still retains a great deal of integrity relative to the kinds of uh, yoga that are uh, fostered today by, by so-called yoga schools that have no interest in transcendence to that original state. Uh, it is a useful uh, template to be able to take off from to understand what is our intention and the methodology that is most appropriate to attaining the absolute, meaning the regaining of our original nature. Asta means eight, anga limbs, so it's a yoga of eight limbs. Okay. So, in the classical yoga schools, you are not admitted 
into the school unless you could prove that you had already mastered the yamas and niyamas. They were not to be taught to you, but they were to prove that you were psychologically mature enough to be able to handle the information and the energies that would come through the practice of yoga and that you would do it with integrity and would not use it for egoic aggrandizement. So the yamas are basically about, well, let's say they're both, yamas and niyamas are both about virtue, or virtues in the plural. So the yamas are more about self-constraint, self-control, the ability to forego gratification, the ability to uh, remain with a consistency of intention that enabled you to sacrifice the pleasures of the ego that would get in the way of spiritual development. And the niyama is more about your habits of practice of life and your use of your life energies in service of God. So this should already be one's original attitude in order to be able to learn how then to get closer to the God that you already believe in and want to serve and want to learn how to serve at a higher plane than simply that of uh, devotion uh, on a human level. So yoga was to go beyond bhakti through the means of jnana and dhyana. Knowledge, intelligible understanding of the higher dimensions and nature of reality beyond what is apparent on the visible plane and the knowledge of the source of all that it appears. So the, the yogis understood that if someone has still traces of psychological immaturity, emotional reactivity, they cannot ever get to the highest states of meditative consciousness. Because those emotional traits will cause at some point a meltdown, a, uh, a kind of reaction that will bring about lower chakra activity, and an ensuing of a fantasy that will get acted out and dramas that will produce enmeshment and, and more karma of a kind that will then get in the way of being egoless, bodiless, and pure presence. So the whole point of yoga is to get the ego out of the way, but you can't get it out of the way because you believe you are the ego 
until the ego reaches its own highest state of self-awareness and voluntarily chooses to want to sacrifice itself into the fire of divine presence. And this requires a very high state of psycho-spiritual maturity. Because otherwise, one's loyalty to more phenomenal plain ambitions and desires and attachments will conflict with the desire to disappear into the oceanic consciousness that is non-personal. And that's why very few people today would even qualify for a true yoga school. And if we were to insist on people having mastered the yamas and niyamas before coming here, well, nobody would ever come. So we have to modify the approach and do that kind of training as we go along. Some people come with more maturity and more uh, altruism in their characters than others. But for the most part, the vigilance on observing one's own emotional reactivity, even in very small situations, and going to the root of the belief behind it and eliminating it for its falseness is an essential part of the sadhana. That kind of mindfulness, and it's an ethical mindfulness that refuses to leak out or to act out and is able to maintain the hermetically sealed vessel that they talk about in alchemy, which is a kind of yoga, that enables the fire of divine presence, the fire of yoga, the yoga agni, to build up to such a level that it dissolves the traces of the sanskaras of the ego. But that eternal vigilance is the price of Jivan Mukti. So, that is something that has to always uh, be part of our, our practice and mostly takes place outside of class in all of our interactions with one another and with the world, how we treat nature. Do we throw trash out the window carelessly, or do we care for the beauty, the sundaram of our environment? All of the ways that we relate to all, because all nature and humans and wildlife uh, who live in the environment, all are part of God's creation. So, the second, of course, development of Ashtanga Yoga is asana. But asana then didn't mean what asanas, plural, today mean. The asanas that we know didn't actually develop until about the 11th century AD and were gradually developed, and, and really not until the 19th and 20th century 
did full-on asana practice as an end in itself as a form of hatha yoga versus raja yoga, jnana yoga, the older yogas uh, become uh, popular and dominant and mostly originally as treatment for people who were physically ill, etc. or who couldn't meditate without calming down their anxiety through physical activity. And, uh, and it, was, uh, it was used as a more forceful way of depicting through poses that actually symbolize higher states of consciousness the, uh, the nature of, of God consciousness in imagistic ways that were uh, act out in living metaphors, living statuesque uh, forms that one was to concentrate on and meditate on while doing the pose. It wasn't simply to limber the body or get stronger or develop any of the other uh, potentials of the body, but of the mind. But asana originally was simply the ability to sit, asiento in Spanish. It is the ability to sit for a long period of time without being disturbed, without having to move, without losing one's focus, so that one could cultivate that uh, connection to God that would become so strong that even after one got up that one would not change one's state of consciousness until one was in a permanent state of meditation. The next pranayama, or now there's a very complex uh, series, a, a whole uh, field of study of pranayamas, different kinds of breathing exercises for different purposes, but the original motive of pranayama was simply to stop the breath, to reach kumbhaka, because the breathing rate and the mental thought rate were in sync. So the slower is your breathing, the slower are your thoughts. And if you stop the breathing, you'll notice that the thoughts are almost automatically in abeyance as well. And there will be times in deep meditation where this will occur naturally. And and you won't have to take a breath for a long period of time, and you'll find that those are the moments when you go into the deepest state of silence and presence, and you will taste the power and the bliss of the Absolute. So, the first four all have to do with the body and the world of action the physical realm, the visible realm. They all have to do with the body-mind that is connected and still identified with the vehicle. In the next phase of yoga, we go to pratyahara, which is the withdrawal of your attention from the body and from the world and from all of the concerns of the mind related to the outer world. 
and you begin to withdraw into the intelligible inner world, the world of pure mind, the nature of mind. You begin to enter into that level of consciousness that has nothing to do with your outer life. Okay, so in a sense, this is where the inner yoga begins. When you have let go of any interest in the body or in the world or in karma, and you are freeing your mind of all of its attachments to the external and moving into that dimension of consciousness that is independent of the world. That leads you to the final phase of yoga, dharana, dhyana, and the goal of yoga, samadhi. Dharana, we could say, is the very effortful intention to concentrate. Concentrate, like concentric circles, to bring the mind ever more to its own center, to the very central point of light that is the source of all thought, the Jyoti Bindu. So it is this power. It is this, this power of concentration that is a skill that must be developed. It's like weightlifting. You are developing the muscle of concentration because the mind will want to go off on a tangent. When you concentrate, and of course in Hatha Yoga you may concentrate on an external object, like a candle flame, or you may concentrate on a mantra, you may concentrate on a image of a deity or something like that. But sat-yoga, we want to concentrate on the self, the absolute. And that's much more subtle. If you concentrate on an object, it's much easier because there is something visible, imagistic, or uh, something conceptual. And so those forms of concentration will only take you so far because the whole point of yoga is to go to the transconceptual, to be in that state of mind that has no images and no thoughts. So our concentration wants to be on that which is inconceivable. That requires a lot of practice. And what you'll notice is, because the ego mind can't get to that level of subtlety, of realization that its true nature is non, not only non-physical, but has no form. The formlessness of the self is, is not graspable. And so the mind will tend to create melodramas and uh, the, the subconscious fantasies will start to play out in meditation and pretty soon you will have lost the thread of your concentration and you'll be in some uh, kind of a, a, a false uh, and, and often unpleasant 
uh, internal drama that has to do with some relationship between the ego and the superego that will re-emplace the self-image as having all of the false beliefs you were trying to leave behind. So it'll try to undo everything you've attained by getting to that level and bringing you back to an egoic state of consciousness. And then you'll wonder, why am I sitting here? I can't meditate. This is ridiculous. It's hopeless. And everybody goes through a period like that. But eventually one reaches a point where the concentration hits the goal, hits the bullseye, the famous image of, the, of Arjuna's bow and arrow hitting the target. And one, one's concentration then becomes effortless and consistent. And one is able to then be in dhyana. And now, real meditation begins to take place because you are now in constant contact with the self. And the mind can remain in silence. And without any intervening fantasies, without any interruptions, distractions, or, or uh, other forms of egoic attempts to disrupt your ascension to higher vibrational frequencies. Once you remain in dhyana for a sufficient amount of period, that is, that amount of time that is effortless, so it's, it becomes second nature, it's spontaneous, it's not something you are doing, but it becomes simply the nature of your being, you will enter into full absorption. And since your, your focus, your object of consciousness is not an external object or even a, a subtle object, but in fact, what you are meditating on is the self. And of course, it's the self meditating on the self. And so now, unity of the self that had been split into subject and object discovers that its object is itself. And the duality of subject and object that had created split mind, the satarivu, is now healed and there is a unification of mind. No longer is there either a subject or an object, but absorption in that transpersonal, infinite consciousness, awareness, presence that is beyond thought and beyond any sense of separation from the source of our being. Now, Patanjali speaks of different levels of samadhi, vitarka, savitarka, nirviktarka, and savikalpa, nirvikalpa samadhi. We don't need to go into all of those uh, various uh, strata because ultimately 
it is a samadhi, it is an absorption in that silent presence in which you realize that you are that. And once that realization happens, actually another, you could say, the ninth phase that Sri Ramana speaks of happens, which he calls sahaja samadhi, in which it's not simply a temporary absorption, oh, that was blissful, now let's get back to work and you know, go into ordinary activities, but it's a permanent state of absorption that does not interfere with the functioning of the body-mind in the world, but the nature of the self has now been realized and there is no longer any karma being uh, committed because one has recognized that truth of one's real nature as not being at all limited to or identified with the physical form or the mental thinking apparatus. And in this, the, the life of a Jivan Mukta, one who is liberated from karma, from ego, from illusion, from suffering, uh, is brought into being. So those who wish to live such a liberated life must understand that it is brought about through the strengthening of the capacity of the self to control its own mental activity and to surrender that mental activity to the source of one's being and to focus in such a way that that source is realized as the self. So the sacrificer becomes the one who receives the sacrifice and the energies of the observation of the self turn into the blissful radiance of the presence of that original self who is no longer a seeker. The seeking phase of life is over. And not only has one found, but the one who has found has disappeared into what is found. The combination of these final three phases is referred to as samyama. And the idea is that in a single meditation, one should be able to employ the effort of establishing that state of concentration on the center of one's being, the third eye, or call it the heart. It's not actually physically localizable, but there will be effects in the body that will be felt when one has hit the target of that point of light that will create when one is, has moved from dharana to dhyana will create the portal to what happens in samadhi which is the return to the brilliant luminosity of the self. And that pure light of the supreme self and all that comes with that light, the information it carries, the power, the, the bliss, all of it, 
becomes a flow into the consciousness that transforms one's understanding of oneself into that supreme presence. Once that happens, all frames of reference that one had about reality fall away and you realize how much of an illusion you had been living in, how false had been your worldview. You realize that everything that the ego thinks on, uh, on, on, on its level of consciousness about the world, about itself, about life, time, history, all, even science, all of it is just an opinion. There's no truth at that level. And that's why science can't create tr truth or discover truth with a capital T. It'll hypothesize a theory, and those theories have generally a short shelf life and or, are overturned by other theories. The theories that overturn them are equally just opinions. They may be based on very precise experiments and observations, but they're based on premises that are not experimentally verified. And uh, all of it tends to decay very rapidly so that if we are honest, we realize at an ego level, we're clueless about the nature of reality and about what we're doing or, or about who we are. And that humility again then can lead to the desire, the yearning to discover truth and get out of the field of mere opinion that is also the field of karma, of suffering. And so everything has to do with the strengthening of the mastery of the mind. and the refusal to allow the ego mind, which is a mind based on images, affects, concepts, to run away with you and take you on its dead-end journey into mirages of happiness, mirages of power, mirages of beauty, mirages of uh, attainment to get beyond the mirage of maya. We must get beyond the mind that creates those illusions. Okay, everybody with me so far? Yeah. Any questions about this? Withdrawal. We're now withdrawing our attention from the outer to the inner. Okay. Mm -hmm. Prana means breath, but it's also the life energy of the body because your breathing is what moves that life energy, at least on, a, on the level of the physical body. But we who have this study of seven bodies, we know there is a pranic body. And in that sense, the prana refers to the strength of the bioelectromagnetic energy that is actually flowing through the body. 
and, and, and that is called prana, or chi, or ki, or vril, or has many names in different cultures. But what we do when we meditate is, by silencing the mind, we stop the activity, we silencing the, the breath, the stilling the breath, quieting it, the, the mental activity is able to become more sattvic and is able to become more silently understanding of reality without having to think. And so the, the mind is then able to drop into a much deeper depth of presence when the breathing isn't going continually. And, and this actually brings us from the pranic body into those levels of, of presence which are based on shakti. Prana is actually a stepped down level of shakti in the same way that visible light is a stepped down level of divine luminosity. But the, uh, the, the breathing practices of pranayama, you know, all these various practices are originally intended to reach a point where you can stop breathing for longer periods of time and be in that state between breaths in which you are also between thoughts. And you want to expand the gap between thoughts because that's how you get into the silent presence, right? So that's basically, pranayama is an external instrument to try to bring you to the internal level. The problem is it works only temporarily. Once you start breathing again, you lose it. So we want to be able to have control of it that doesn't require an external method. But you will discover that as you quiet your thoughts directly, the breathing will also slow down. So it works in both directions. But you don't have to focus on the breathing. If you focus on the breathing, you're still staying at the external level of this first plateau. You want to go to the second, level so that there is uh, no sense of a physical body being uh, uh, functioning but pure mind okay i'm trying to relate um experience in meditation with eyes open and eyes closed i feel like spontaneity is like uh it's like just before thought, and my question is, what is beyond the witness? What is beyond witnessing? Mm -hmm. Well, this is the point of meditation, is to discover just that. But it can't be described in words, because that source of the witness ultimately is the absolute that is indescribable. So why is it that during meditation with eyes closed, the appearance of this light seems to be, it's like a, it's like a, um, it's like a, um, a formal representation of that point that is beyond top. Right. Yeah. But I seem to be always chasing that thought. That's right. As long as there's an I thought, yes. then there will be a separation from it. 
That's why you need to let go of the I thought and then realize you are what you are chasing. Why isn't there a feeling to chase it? What, why is there a feeling? Yeah. Because you're, you naturally are seeking yourself. If you're cut off from the self, that's the only thing you really want because that's the lack that you feel that has been causing all suffering. Once the self is realized, there is no more pain or suffering in, the, in your life. So, the practice of samyama is to not go in a gradual way, but an instantaneous way, from the effort to the effortless realization of that light of the God-mind, and then total absorption in it until the one who is aware of it it has now disappeared into it, and that, thou art that, that is what you are. That's the realization. And, and once you know you are that brilliant divine light, and even beyond the light, the source of the light, will be the, the final phase, you will not want to return to the lower states of consciousness that are identified with body or with signifiers or with images. And you'll realize that those are hell realms, they're bardo states, purgatories, but you want to be in the internal heaven of your real self now. Okay. Is everybody up for doing a meditation? Yeah? Okay, let's put the notes away and sit comfortably and you can put some background music on, Brahmaji. Thank you. So you can meditate with eyes open or closed, but I recommend doing it with eyes closed because you'll more easily see the inner light and not be distracted eventually of course, you want to meditate in all conditions, in all states of consciousness, and not be interrupted. So sit comfortably, relaxed, in a good asana with the back straight so the kundalini energy can flow <clears throat> up the spinal cord, and the third eye can be opened, and the crown chakra. We'll start out with a little pranayama, which is simply the counting of your breath. Count each as you inhale one, as you exhale two, your next inhalation three, etc. Go up to ten and then start over again. Let's do a few rounds of that because that will focus your concentration on the breath and allow you to let go of other thoughts and the breath will naturally slow down.
As you do this, you can observe that your heart rate is slowing down, your general metabolism, and your thoughts. Your brain waves are changing. And there should be a greater serenity in the body, a relaxation of any tension in the muscles, a letting go of any stress. and a willingness to be present and comfortable in the body. Comfortable with the self. And now let's go into Pratyahara. Let's withdraw <clears throat> the attention from the body. It's in a good space, it's safe. It's relaxed. Now let's focus internally. Let's begin to withdraw our attention into the recognition that we are consciousness. And although we have the ability to think, Consciousness itself is not thought, it's beyond thought. And we can leave the power of thinking in abeyance and activate the power of presence, of pure awareness that does not need to think. It knows, you know without thinking. and feel what it's like to stay in that state of pure presence. If you wish, you can ask yourself, Allah Sri Ramana, who am I? <clears throat> but ask it silently, non-verbally. And not asking what is the I thought, but the I that is aware of the I thought. And situate your center, your focus, your awareness in that beyond of thought that is presence. And notice if or when your mind tries to interrupt your presence with another stream of images or thoughts that would take you away from your center. And keep returning to this place of silent awareness.
Now, because the mind at the ego level is easily distracted, and because if you have not eliminated false beliefs from the ego mind, they will come up and interrupt your silence. Therefore, let's choose a different object to focus on in this meditation, which is an image I would like you to create of yourself, your bodily self, your appearance. But your appearance in the near future, once you have eliminated all the false beliefs, once you have entered into samadhi, once you have realized the divine nature of your being and live out of this true self, how do you look? How do you appear to yourself? See this image of yourself coming toward you. And notice the way this being that is you walks and gestures and acts toward you and feels and gradually allow yourself to enter into this image so that you taste the feeling state of a liberated being. And at the same time, sit across from this being as the ego mind and ask this one who is you in the future, what enabled you to cross over? to dissolve the ego and to become enlightened? What was the key to your transformation and your transcendence? And hear the wisdom that your own real self offers you. Let it come spontaneously without effort. And even if it is only a silent smile, feel the energy with which that is transmitted. And if you're willing to accept the wisdom that is offered, then because time is an illusion, invite this future being to enter fully into your current form, to possess you, 
to integrate with you and as you and feel your body now filled with this energy of liberated presence. and feel what it's like to have a body free of affect, free of self-torment, free of any kind of egoic chains, but a kind of freedom that you may have never known before. A fearless presence free of desire, free of the illusion of death, free of suffering. And now allow yourself to be so absorbed into the self that you now are the real self. That you move from the external qualities of this self into the innermost core of your luminous consciousness. and become completely absorbed into the source of your being. Enter into the absolute stillness where there is no mental activity, the zero point. The emptiness, the absolute nothingness that is infinite fullness and abide as limitless, timeless presence. Feel it become effortless, 
Remember, this is your true nature. There is no doer. This is what is. This is the real. Enjoy the undisturbed, silent peace of the deep self. Free of the world illusion. The longer you abide in the silent presence, uninterrupted, ceaselessly absorbed into the light, the power of presence, the boundless openness of being, the more that this becomes your constant state. 
when you abide ceaselessly in this inner light as the transcendent eternal self. The separation from enmeshment in matter becomes complete. This is called kaivalya. Purusha has separated from prakriti. But now take the next step. From this place of silent presence, recognize that all that is sensed by the body, the whole world of appearances, is like a dream that appears within this silent presence. It is not separate. It is not an other. But simply a modification of the cosmic mind. A dream within the mind of God. So that the entire world is really uncreated simply a thought, an infinite complex thought, a work of art, simultaneously present all of time, all of space, instantaneously here and now, but that unfolds as if in sequence. And one is simultaneously in the changeless eternal presence and within the dream of time and space. But the two are one. And the world's reality is only that of the divine mind. It's meaningfulness 
is aimed at the divine understanding. It is God's thinking to itself, creating beauty. But know the beauty of the world as a projection of absolute beauty, absolute truth that transcends forms and thoughts. And is none other than the self. Realize the absolute beauty of your pure and perfect, formless being. Your silent presence, your primordial consciousness. You are truth and beauty. and recognize these principles at work in the manifestation of your body within the dream world and the world itself as that unfoldment of the reconstitution of divine beauty. out of the chaos of ignorance that has now been lifted, the veil of maya having been thrown aside, that all things can be seen as they really are. And there is non-duality of world and self. within the apparent multiplicity. The one, the supreme, the absolute, is all there is. Feel how natural it is to be free of thoughts so that only the pure thoughts from the higher mind will come when needed spontaneously, without effort. But otherwise, the silence is the baseline the natural state of presence in which you abide.
and in this abidance, you are claiming your birthright of divinity, claiming your power, your love, your bliss, your luminosity as your real nature. that no one could take away. And now, as you are ready to do so, let your eyes open and be in Sahaja Samadhi, in which you retain this state of presence, even while the body is active, and even while the mind may be thinking but thinking from this place of sattvic clarity, without disturbance, without ego, without affect, just peace and quiet joy. Om Shanti. Shanti, Shanti. Okay, how do you enjoy Sahaja Samadhi? May you choose to live in this state. With no further falls into egoic reactivity. With no further forgetfulness 
but able to complete the journey now effortlessly to the absolute presence. Was this meditation helpful to people? How many found it useful and enabled you to get to silence? Yeah? Okay. So you see how easy it is. Do not create the false belief that this is difficult. That's the worst self-sabotage. It doesn't take time. It simply requires you to realize your timelessness. And that is simply being in the now. When you're in the ego, you're not present. The mind takes you into some illusory state of fantasy of projection, of past thinking or future worries. Just be here and now and that's it. It's very simple. Here and now without a self-image, without seeing things through a frame of reference based on false beliefs, and without subject-object duality because you know that everyone you see is a part of yourself. And therefore, there can be no conflicts. Okay, floor is open. You help a lot what you answered about chasing that light. Mm -hmm. Like sort of how you guided us. Mm -hmm. And this light just say turn into images of experiences I've had where I felt like very much somebody like, wow, what is this, you know? But no desimplification, like I felt like the creator of that. Mm -hmm. And they started like melting one into the other mm -hmm. and let me hear. So mm -hmm. I guess you're like completely right about being present because if I would have been present I would be here. Mm -hmm. All my life led me here, so... I agree. But now, do not forget and focus very subtly and deeply on the fact that presence precedes the I that thinks it is present. Okay? That's the real key. Because that's a thought. And that thought actually takes you away from presence. That's why I found like so interesting about coming to this silent retreat because there's no way about explaining this without placing the eye. That's it. Thank you, Fabian. Mm -hmm. If you see light during meditation, if you see light, is that are you supposed to be trying to get beyond that or is you know, is that a projection? Inner light you're talking about now or outer lights? Inner light. It's a reality. The, the, the self is light. It's divine light, okay? It is that light that produces your dreams, right? There's a light in your dreams. It doesn't come from the sun. Where does that light come from? It's the light of the mind itself. So the light 
is what you want to be absorbed into so that there's no one seeing the light any longer. You are the light, okay? But then you, there will be a realization that no, you're actually the source of the light. The light is emanating from you. It's like the sunlight versus the sun, right? Yes, wonderful light, but beyond that is the source. And then there is absolute knowing and freedom. Okay. Mm -hmm. how, how to develop more concentration? What are exercises for that? that, that First of all, there has to be a desire to go within to discover who you are. And that yearning has to become very strong to overcome the gravity of the ego. And one has to have reached what is called vairagya, a dispassion for all of the things of the world that you would think about. A dispassion for what you're gaining or losing in any situation or your feeling of relationships and not being appreciated or having some effect or how do people see you, all those concerns. Once that is let go of, concentration becomes easy. So the, the first step is that you want to know who you are beyond the enmeshment in the phenomenal plane identity. Once that happens, then you become very interested in who am I? That's what you're concentrating on, is what is the self prior to incarnation and identification? And once you have gained the realization, not just the thought or the concept of uh, the self beyond the world, beyond thought and, and image, you will want to hold on to it because it gives you power, it gives you energy, it gives you joy. And the more you concentrate on it, the more life energy you will actually have. So the, the secret of concentration is receiving the juice, literally the vitality that that concentration on the real self will give you. If it's not giving you vitality, then you're not yet concentrating on the real self because that's the source of life, of being. Uh, and so once you're concentrating on that, the Shakti will flow and you can then trace back your, your sense of being to the source of the Shakti and abide in this ocean of blissful energy. Okay. The meaning of the future self is actually the, um, one, of the, one of the parts of the meditation that kind of confuses me. Because what the thought that, that comes is, well, the future liberated self is not an image, it's not a thing, it's not seen as some body. So when I start to imagine what I think of as me or this thing, it just seems so wrong. How, how do you suggest that? Well, but you see, you're, this is the concept of the avatar. It's true that the self is the consciousness of the body that's animating the body, but you, you appear as a body, 
Brahmana was a bodily being, although he kept saying to people, I'm not the body, and it's true, he's not the body, but the body was a wonderful role model of a liberated being. Ananda Ma was the same. So it wasn't wrong that they were bodily beings, and in the same way it's not wrong that you are a bodily being, but you must recognize that the body is only the vehicle of the being, not identified as it. And once that is clear, then the body becomes an instrument of giving divine grace, of disseminating that light that you are. So first, by seeing the avataric outside of that being, the appearance in the world of this liberated consciousness, then enables you to go inside and discover the, the absolute nature of that. But both are important. Mm -hmm. In the time of classical yoga, you were explaining that uh, when the student was not psychologically mature and spent to have mastered the yamas and the yamas, they, they wouldn't be accepted into the schools. And I wonder what would happen to these people if they weren't accepted into the yoga well, remember, in classical Indian culture, there were four ashramas or phases, right? Where you went through the artha, kama, dharma, and then moksha, right? So your education process in the classical world would have made you a virtuous, noble being. That was the purpose of education, so that you would live naturally according to the dharma. So if you were a successful adult in that culture, yes, you would already have mastered the yamas and niyamas. And so it was very rare for someone not to have done that if they had gone through that educational process. Today, what we call an educational process is a horrible de degradation. It's a bullying process that makes one lose all interest in learning or growth or development to higher levels. It's a, it's a horror of what is being done to people. It's anti-dharmic. But in, in a healthy culture, one would have been prepared by the, that process and by the values of the culture itself to want all one's life to achieve liberation. And then one, after one had completed one's duties in the world to go into the... Uh, the, the, the ashram or into the forest and attain enlightenment. Mm -hmm. I really enjoy the meditation, the guided meditation. Um, I do enjoy all the guided meditations with you, um, which is different from any other meditation teacher that I have. Because it's just, it's almost like hypnotizing. I feel really like you're saying the right things at the right time for me to go deeper. Um, and in this meditation specifically, I found that there's this, um, yeah, curiosity awakened in this state of sweetness. It was the sweetness and the things seemed so frightening to me. Mm -hmm. Sometimes when I feel like I'm going into a higher state, even though it's probably still a very low state, but mm -hmm. in a bit of a more thought-free, uh, wider state, and I started to feel anxious, but there was a sweetness to that meditation, maybe because there was this illusion of another being, but it came closer to me, it came, it came part of me at least a little bit, and mm -hmm. it was very sweet. I, I really enjoyed that meditation a lot. It was Wonderful. very nice, and 
I felt a lot of um, heat inside of me, but um, the comfortable, the beautiful. Mm -hmm. A warmth in your heart. Yeah. Mm -hmm. exactly. And that's what took away the anxiety, right? Possibly. I actually um, was pondering on that a little bit, whether there was before enough, enough opening of the heart or something like that. Yes. You see, the anxiety is based on the fear of abandonment. It's the fear of loneliness and rejection and all of that. Well, here when you're meditating, you're getting into aloneness, but you're getting into an aloneness in which you are all one with God. So you're not alone. You're with that supreme protector, that supreme love and beloved and light and joy and power. And so you can feel safe for the first time. I think that's the sweetness that absolute safety and that absolute sense of being held in the arms of a loving God. If you cultivate that, then all of the fears that the ego has of abandonment will fall away and you'll be able to let all of the traces of its symptomatization of its fear and its anger and its uh, its sense of uh, unworthiness fall away and your divine, beautiful, perfect nature will emerge and manifest fully. Mm -hmm. okay. <clears throat> I had a little bit of a uh, conflict, possibly interpretation or, or maybe semantics of the meaning of avatar where I understood or I understand that it's the absolute uh, that decides to come in the human form for specific purpose or mission to reestablish dharma, chanting, mm -hmm. etc., because of the state of, in this case, of the planet. That's correct. And no attributes, uh, no karma, the Krishna, Brahma, etc. As an incarnation, but the others are not, as reincarnation, where they have to go through the process of psycho-spiritual development to realize that they are that. But uh, my quote-unquote conflict, uh, or lack of correct understanding, is when you, you talk, or you use the word avatar, in our case, it's just clarify that. You see, ultimately from God consciousness, which is non-duality, reincarnation is an illusion. We are always already the avatar at that level of uh, the real self that gets obscured and concealed, but is never lost. And so it's at the very end of time, oddly and paradoxically, once we have lost all sense of that sacred divine nature, that it is suddenly refound. And the real self, the one, not the individual ego, right? It's not that one who has been doing the effort, that one dissolves into the one, and then the one embodies itself. So it isn't the, the one who, who is working, but the one whose work has been completed and who has now died completely into the one self that then enables that self to be embodied. The same thing happened with Sri Ramana. At age 16, he decided he wanted to die. Partly, I think, because his father had died, and he was actually devastated by that, his biological father. 
And, and he went through a moment of anxiety, of fear of death, but the fear of death came because he wanted to die. He didn't want to live in this world any longer. And he, he sat on, lay on the floor, and he went through his death, right? He actually died. His ego died at that moment, and the father took over the use of his body. And, and as he said, then his body was carried like a speck in the wind all the way to Arunachala. The father said, well, then come to the mountain of the father and just sit in a cave there. You don't need to do anything. And, and he belonged to the father. He had no will of his own. He didn't care. He didn't want to move even when ants were chewing up his legs and rats were nibbling at his toes. Didn't care. He had died as an individual and the father had taken over. Well, the father made sure there was no real harm that came to him and saved him from the Patala Lingam, the hell realm below the Arunachaleshvara temple that we chanted to before, and, and brought him into the fame and fortune that he didn't care at all about. But he was in an avataric state of consciousness because there was no one there anymore. But the, that avatar was the result of a long series of incarnations of a being who finally completed with absolute vairagya any interest in being in the world. And, and so there was a transcendence of worldhood and the divine nature took over. Now we don't have to go through the same kind of tormented uh, pathway uh, that Ramana did, seemingly tormented. He wasn't. He didn't feel any pain or suffering at all. But I think he needed to have that charitra as proof that, that you don't suffer no matter what the conditions are. And he, had, he was penniless. He knew nobody in uh, Tiruvannamalai. He was, uh, uh, you know, absolutely bereft of any visible support. Uh, but God took care of him completely. And so the same is true for all of us. If we would have but that amount of trust and uh, die into the presence of that supreme light, we would all be avatars. And, and it is at this moment, at the very end of time, that frankly there is nothing else to do but to return to that avataric nature. Thank you for listening to the Spiritual Teachings with Shunyamurti podcast. For more information on programs and retreats, click on the calendar section of our website, www.satyoga.org. Our work is made possible by the generous support of our listeners, viewers, and members. To make a donation, please visit the donate page of our website. We thank you for your support in our mission to share this timeless wisdom with the world. Namaste.